culture, kind of the dance thing, and I'm going, yeah, I'm going to dance on Friday. No, not really. That would not be good. You do not want me to dance. Well, it is uh, great to have each one of you here, and I just want to say real quickly about the, uh, uh, our Taste of Missions coming up on a Friday. We would love to have everybody uh, there to be a part of that. Uh, we have a bunch of tables that are covered right now when it comes to, I think we've got 25, 27, 27 tables of different food from around the world that we are going to be celebrating with together. If, you have, if you're on a diet, forget it on Friday. It's going to be awesome, so make sure that you are here for that. And everybody's invited, all right? There's nobody who's not invited that's a part of the Life Church family. And if you've got friends and neighbors, come on, bring them as well. It's going to be a great night for us uh, to celebrate what God is doing around the world. Uh, you're going to see some, uh, there are some great dance things, some music that's going to be happening. You're going to hear from a number of missionaries uh, that are just part of our Life Church family, as well as those that uh, we'll be bringing in just special for, uh, for this weekend. And it's going to be a great night. So that's at 6.30 p.m., Friday night, make sure uh, you are here with us. Um, real quick, I don't know if you've heard in the news uh, lately, but there's this thing called coronavirus. Anybody heard of it, right? Okay. And uh, there is, uh, there's certainly fear associated with it, right? There's a, a sense about it there's of an inevitability of something bad going on with this. And I just want you to know a couple of things. First of all, we don't live in fear, right? As, as we, just, we just cannot live in fear. Uh, the second thing is... Um, that should something happen here in Utah and things go awry, just know one thing, the church will go forward, right? That we as the people of God, we stand firm on the promises of who God is. And uh, we will be creative in the ministry that we are able to do in a season uh, like that. And just know we're doing, uh, doing everything uh, that we know to do to keep everybody as safe as possible. And you need to do everything that you know to do to keep yourself as safe as possible as well. And so in our world around us today, there's a lot of fear-mongering, a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, man, let's just stick close to Jesus. Let's see what the Lord wants to do in and through us. And let us be a light in a, uh, in a time in our country, in a time in our world, where it feels like, uh, it just feels like that, that shattering of some of the foundations. Uh, God's called us as a people of God to stand strong and firm in Him. And so we will do that uh, regardless of what's happening in the world around us. And so thank you uh, for that. And uh, don't participate in the fear. Please don't participate in the fear. It doesn't help anyone uh, with that. Um, so we're starting a new series today. I really know uh, uh, over the next month or so, we're going to be just walking through this big idea of what it means to be on mission. Uh, because God has called us to be on mission, every single one of us. And some of the foundational things uh, for me is I believe everybody is called to ministry. <laughs> everybody is called to ministry. Uh, I happen to be a pastor on, st at a sta on staff at this church and so this is how the ministry takes shape in my life. But just because of this position, right, uh, doesn't mean that it's somehow different than the call that many, 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 or actually all of us uh, receive when it comes to becoming a minister of the gospel of Christ. Every one of you fall into that category. Doesn't matter if that happens to be full time or doesn't matter if that happens to be uh, something that you do at work, something that you do at home, in your neighborhood, wherever that is, we are all called to ministry. And so for all of us then, we need to figure out what it means to live on mission. What does it mean for us to live uh, on purpose with our life, that we don't just uh, let things happen to us and just kind of uh, fly by the seat of our pants all the time? We are a people who are marked by a purpose in our life that's higher than ourselves. So what does that look like? For us, And over the next month, we're going to be starting to uh, look at what that means generally, and we'll be talking obviously about missions uh, a little bit this week in the service, and then next week especially with a special guest. 
um, and talk about how we can participate in the missions like we just heard uh, just a little bit ago in, in the video where we can join, we can partner with folks, we can join them financially on a, on a monthly basis uh, where, whereby we are supporting people who are uh, spreading the gospel of Christ into the world around us where we cannot go ourselves. And uh, we're going to be looking at opportunities for missions trips, things like that uh, as well. So what does it mean to live on mission? I figured the best place we can go is to find out what Jesus says about mission, right? So uh, there's this group of people that made their way to a mountaintop. And they had been around this guy for, uh, for a long time. And as they made their way to the, uh, to the mountaintop, they, there was a lot of uh, wondering as to what was going to happen next. Because they had spent time with each other before this day that, uh, that I'm talking about, before this day. They had spent time, they had seen healings, they had seen miracles, they had seen uh, confrontations, they had watched uh, difficult circumstances, and then the teacher that they were following, uh, they, they watched him as he talked his way through, as he prayed his way through, as miracles happened around him, and this Jesus called them to this mountaintop. and said, I want you to meet with me, and uh, then we're going we're gonna to have some decisions that are made. Um, what they were longing to hear was this, this idea of follow me. Many of them had already received a calling from Jesus, and they had already received this idea of follow me. We heard, you know, Peter and Andrew and a number of, other, of the other disciples. They had already received that, but this was something more. Something more was happening to a group of people, and so Jesus said to meet them on the mountain or meet them on the mountain. But this follow me was a simple request, but incredibly profound They'd all been around long enough to see this journey ahead would potentially have difficulty. Anytime you go up against the powers that be and you are, uh, you are the one who is not in power, you recognize there's going to be trouble. And these disciples and these who had already begun following after Jesus recognize there was probably going to be trouble down the road. They had their hopes and dreams as to what it was going to be. Some of them had their hopes and dreams that Jesus was going to usher in a new, uh, a new kingdom where everything was going to be right for the nation of Israel. Uh, the crowds were following. Even the police were uh, taking notice. They weren't called police. They were called Roman soldiers. Right? But the police were even taking note of what was going on among these people. They were noticing this guy, and the adventure was just beginning. So we pick up this part of the story in Mark chapter 3. So if you want to turn there, please, to Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. And it says this, Jesus went up on a mountain, and he called those he wanted. They came to him. It says, he appointed 12 and called them apostles. He appointed them to be with him, to be sent out to preach, and to have authority to throw out demons or to cast out demons. He appointed 12. Peter, he, uh, a name he gave Simon. James and John, Zebedee's son, whom he nicknamed Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, and Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Alphaeus' son, Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, some of your versions will say Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. These 12, uh, these 12 who were to be called apostles, whom we often call disciples, the 12 disciples, uh, these 12 would represent Jesus to the world. Have you ever thought that your role is to represent Jesus to the world? Does that scare you a little bit? Because Jesus is Jesus, <laughs> right? He's fully God, totally perfect, right? And all those things that I am representing. Um, 
So I have to ask myself this question. God, isn't there a better way? Isn't there a better way than have me represent you to a broken and lost world? Because, Lord, I am broken and lost myself. Uh, but God says no. I'm choosing these 12 in particular. And, and we find out through the reading of the Gospels there were many, many, many more who were following after Jesus on an ongoing basis and many people supporting the ministry. But in particular, these 12... So what I want to do is I want to take a look at these 12 really quickly. You might have looked at the lives of these 12 uh, disciples uh, prior to this. Uh, but let's take a look at them and be reminded of who Jesus chose to represent himself. You ready for this? Peter. That's a snapshot of Peter on Instagram. I found it, it was beautiful. <laughs> Peter was impulsive. How many impulsive people do we have here, Right. The, uh, the act before you think kind of people, the, the speak before you think, the, the, the ones who say something and then immediately you go, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Anybody, uh, anybody there, right? Okay, we, we've got some folks here that are just like that. A little rush, rough around the edges, uh, maybe, maybe more than just a little. Um, he's a fisherman. Later on, we hear about Peter that he denies Jesus three times to a young girl. This is something said of Josephus, uh, who is a historian in the first century. This is what Josephus says of Galileans, of whom Peter was a Galilean. He says, they were ever fond of innovation and by nature disposed to change and delighted in sedition. They were ever ready to follow the leader and to begin an insurrection. They were quick in temper and given to quarreling, and they were very chivalrous men. <laughs> Right, so there's something good in there, but man, there are all sorts of problems lined up with kind of what Peter had seen is kind of this idealistic view of what it means to be an, a, a Galilean, right? And this is Peter, and this is who Jesus chooses to represent him. James and John, sons of thunder. These guys argued. There's no doubt about that. Uh, these guys got their mom involved in the argument. Uh, they argued about who's the greatest. It was the typical, you know, uh, brother kind of thing. Who's the greatest among us? And they were fighting with that. And Jesus would call them in question. And that's why I think Jesus gave them this nickname, Sons of Thunder. My son has that name for a whole other reason. Uh, Andrew. <laughs> Andrew. Now, Andrew is the brother to the impulsive one. Andrew is the one who is also a fisherman. He's the common, common working class kind of guy. And my guess is he's always trying to stop his brother from saying the things that he knows his brother shouldn't say, right? That's the, that's the younger brother's uh, role in all of this. Philip is the first one to follow Jesus, an early adopter of new things. How many of you are early adopters when it comes to, like, new technology stuff? None of you. <laughs> There's a handful of you. How many of you had like the first generation iPhone when it came out in 2007, right? That's early adopter, right? That's the person who's kind of on that front edge. This would be Philip. He is the guy out there, the early adopter looking for the new thing. James, the lesser brother to Thaddeus, both of them very intense on the kingdom of God to be expressed by Jesus now. These were very intense individuals. We don't know a ton about them, but some of the things that they say in the Gospels makes us realize that these guys were ready for the kingdom of God to be now placed on planet Earth, and they wanted that to happen. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, uh, probably was the only one who came from a well-to-do family. 
Um, he he kind of traces his lineage to some of the uh, some of the kings of Israel, and uh, if we go with tradition, and uh, kind of had a royal means and had um, had means about him. And so he was probably one of the very few who had any sort of economic uh, stability in his life. Matthew, also called Levi, was a tax collector. Now, this is super interesting to have Levi, this uh, Matthew, the tax collector, in with all of these very devout Jewish uh, believers. Because Matthew, as a tax collector, would have been seen as a betrayer of the nation of Israel. Because he was in cahoots with, uh, with the Romans in, in overtaxation of the people of Israel. And yet Jesus says, Matthew, I want you to represent me. Everybody thinks you're a betrayer. I want you to represent me. In Matthew's time, tax collectors were listed. This is, this is a great list to be part of. He, they were listed among the prostitutes and sinners. Basically, you say, you know, are, are you, you're as bad as that prostitute. You're as bad as that sinner. You are as bad as that tax collector. Even today's world, that might, might also be in the same problem. Next one, right after this, is Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. Now, Simon the Zealot, it's said of, uh, said of him and having that title there, the Canaanian, uh, the Zealot, he was a violent nationalist. He was someone who would justify killing in the name of God. He was someone who, think about side by side with Matthew, the betrayer of the nation of Israel, siding with the Romans uh, financially, how do you think Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector got along? Have you ever not got along with somebody in the church? <laughs> right? This, and Jesus said, I'm choosing you, Simon the Zealot, to represent me. Uh, Josephus, again, this is what he says about the Zealots. The Zealots were reckless persons, zealous in good practices and extravagant, and reckless in the worst kind of actions. And Jesus says, yep, that's who I want. Does that shock you a little bit? Thomas, the pessimist. Any pessimists among us? Our world, for whatever reason, really values the optimist, doesn't it? I mean, our world is just like, you know, they make the best everything, right? And then there's the pessimist, and there, there is definitely that. And this is Thomas, and Jesus says, yes, Thomas, I want you to represent me in this world. Uh, later known as Doubting Thomas. And how, how many of you know that, that that's like a title that can be given to people to this day? Oh, you're just a Doubting Thomas. How'd you like to have your name taken in vain every time that, 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 that goes on, right? But the cool thing is about him is he was honest in his questioning. And Jesus did not shy away from any of his questions. Jesus welcomed that, and I think that's why he said, Thomas, I want you representing me in this world. Then we get to this last one, Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. He's always listed last, and always after him is a declaration that he's the one who uh, betrayed Jesus. We find out later, obviously, in the Gospels exactly how he did that, and we'll certainly talk about that as Easter is uh, right around the corner. Um, Judas Iscariot was financially adept. He was the treasurer. We find out later that he was helping himself to some of the treasury. Um, but he was financially adept. 
there was a, a side of him that uh, was certainly drawn towards that accounting and, and all of that. And, and Jesus said, Judas, I want you to represent me. That's hard for us to fully grasp why Jesus would allow someone like Judas, uh, depending on how we view, you know, Jesus and all-knowing and all of those things about uh, his godness, right? Um, did he know that Judas was going to betray him three and a half years later? I don't know for sure, but he saw something in Judas and said, I want you to represent me to a broken world. If you put all of these together, you have a mess on your hands, <laughs> don't you? You really, really genuinely do. This gives me so much hope, though, because when you put all of us together, what do we get? A mess, right? And that is perfectly okay, because just like Jesus called these disciples so long ago and said, I want you to represent me to a broken world, he does the same for us knowing full well that we are a mess. It looks like us. Perhaps you see yourself in one of the disciples. And that's actually, by the way, a really fun uh, discovery you can do sometime. Go on there. There's a lot of studies out there about the disciples. Go and find out who you, uh, who you think you look like. So what was God up to in picking such a motley group of people to follow Jesus? And one thought comes to mind, really pretty simple idea here when it comes to this whole idea of what God was trying to accomplish. Um, we can't do this without Jesus, folks. We cannot do this without Jesus. You take Jesus out of this equation, and what are you left with? A mess. <laughs> but you put Jesus into this equation, and what do you have? A redeemed mess. <laughs> it was Jesus at the center that kept all of this working. And that's where Jesus needs to be in our lives. That's where Jesus needs to be at Life Church is absolutely in the center. So, but what exactly is this all about? What, what exactly is, is Jesus talking about here uh, in this? And it's about our mission. It's about our mission. And so what does Mark say in this passage that we're looking at? It says he appointed them to be with him to be sent out to preach. Two things. Is that simple or What? When he called his disciples, this is what he called them, called them to, to be with him and to preach. That's it. We have added so much into what it means to follow Jesus. We've added so much to it, but when Jesus called his disciples to be with him and to preach... Another way to say this, and this goes back many years of my life, but another way to say this is to know God and to make him known. This, folks, in a nutshell, is what we are supposed to do, is to know God and to make him known. It's the bottom line. Cannot get any more simple than that. We're to know God and make him known. This is done as we know Jesus and make him known. So the very first thing here is that Jesus calls the disciples to be with him. Jesus calls the disciples to be with him. And this is the rewarding part of the relationship that we have with Jesus. Not that all of it isn't, but this is really the, the, the special rewarding part when it comes to what Jesus is doing in our life. He's calling us to be with him. To follow this Christ who loves us 
with an everlasting love. Now, I'm talking to a number of you as you come up, to the, uh, come up after the message, and we hear this from our pastors. Uh, it is amazing to hear the stories of what God is doing in your lives. So please tell us. <laughs> Let us know what God is doing uh, in your lives. And the, the, the great thing is, is for many of you, the, the story goes something along these lines. I was heading a certain direction, and I was finding out that it was emptier and emptier and emptier as I walked down that road. Whether it's religion, whether it's uh, totally away from anything related to the church, whether it's re, you know, related to family stuff, what, I was walking down a road, and it was totally empty in my life. And then the big but comes in there, but Jesus showed up, and everything changes. And I hear those stories, and it just, it amazes me because this is the story of disciples. They were going down a certain road. Jesus showed up, changed their life, and now Jesus says, I want you to be with me. That's the very, very first thing. I want you to be with me. Um, so Jesus shows up through a miracle, through an invitation of someone here at Life Church, through a Facebook post, Instagram, you name it, and the search was over. Jesus called you, and you answered. If you look at the New Testament, you see the disciples were everywhere that Jesus was. Everywhere Jesus, kind of like the Mary had a little lamb, <laughs> right? Everywhere Jesus went, that's where his disciples were. The feeding of the 5,000, the disciples were right there helping kind of organize everybody, get them sitting down in those groups of 50 so that they could be fed and Jesus could take care of them. They were there. The healing of the, the man with leprosy, the healing of the 10 with leprosy. Uh, the healing of many, many, many different folks, the, the times when Jesus confronted the Pharisees, they were with Jesus every step of the way. And this is how they knew Jesus, was to be with him. It was here that they first saw how Jesus handled the religious, the broken, the affluent, the seekers, the foreigners, the outcast. It was when Jesus was interacting with them and the disciples right there, and then they would ask Jesus questions. Jesus, what did you mean when you said... Jesus, how did you handle this? Why did you do it this way? Because they were with him, which is the first place Jesus called them to be. They also received from Jesus correction when they got around. Have you ever been corrected by Jesus? You're reading the word someday, you're like you're going through the gospel, and something just jumps out at you and you realize, oh yeah, Jesus, I really screwed up today. You ever done that before? And it's almost like you can hear Jesus talking to you through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Just going, Rich, you have issues. <laughs> and you go, yes, Lord, I know I do. What do I need to do to correct this? Issues. Anybody have issues? <laughs> when we're with Jesus, that's when he starts to deal with those issues. Um, they received compassion as well when they were confused. You ever been confused before in something you've read in the Word? I regularly deal with that. I'm like, really? Did this have to be in here? <laughs> right? I don't understand this. I'm like, okay, Lord, help me in my confusion. Know what you're speaking. Jesus invites that kind of questioning. He loves it when, because that says we're seeking him. That says that we are pushing forward uh, towards him. He took time with them separately to teach and to reveal this is what Jesus does. This is who he is. And the call of the disciples then is the call for us today to first and foremost to be with him. 
Um, so how are we to be with Jesus today? And as I was studying this, this is the thing that kind of caught me. Every, every once in a while, uh, you, you know, I, you kind of read through the Bible, and if you're not careful, you just kind of read through it without being challenged by it. You read through it not learning new things. And uh, the, what the Bible says in Hebrews is that the Word of God is living and active, right? So there's something about it that's alive. Every time we read it, I believe God reveals something new. So I'm always challenged when I, uh, when I read the Bible. And there are times when I read it and I'm just reading it for road just because I kind of have to and feel like, oh, I just need to do this. But man, when it comes alive and I'm open, it's amazing what he does. And this is one of those moments for me. I ask that question, what does it mean to be with Jesus today? Later in the New Testament, we find an answer to this question. Paul, who's an early church uh, leader, he writes this in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. It's right in the middle of the big uh, discussion that he's having there with the church at Corinth, uh, bringing some correction. But he makes a statement. Now, you're the body of Christ and individuals of it. So today... If I want to be with Jesus, where do I go? I get to be with his people who are the body of Christ. Um, we are unified as the body of Christ. So while we're individuals, our identity is located in the whole, and we find our purpose and meaning ultimately in the whole of being in the body of Christ. So if I want to be with Jesus... I need to be with those who make up the body of Christ. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look like Jesus. Turn to your other neighbor and tell them the same thing. You look like Jesus. Right? I mean, ultimately, isn't this the truth? That we are to represent Jesus to the world around us. Does that scare you when somebody says you look like Jesus? I hope it does. Genuinely, I hope it does. Now you're going, oh, yeah, I know. Thank you. <laughs> right, that's a big problem in your life. Not a whole other pride issue we have to deal with. Um, but this truly is something that we need to get through our minds and into our hearts and into our spirits that we represent Jesus Christ. And if we want to be with Jesus, I believe that he has raised us up as the body of believers to be with one another and have God revealed more in our lives than it would be if we were alone and isolated. We need to be with one another. We find out more about, uh, more about Jesus by being exposed to those who are in his body. Our view of God, our relationship with him is shaped by those who represent Jesus. So please represent Jesus well. Not only when you're here among your friends and peers, but when you step outside the walls of this church and you represent Jesus everywhere you go. So the second part of the calling uh, for Jesus uh, to the disciples. Number two here, uh, Jesus calls the disciples to make him known. To make him known. So after we've been with Jesus, then we make him known. And I think this order might be super important. And I've never thought of it this way before. And this is where that challenge kind of came into my own heart. For disciples of Jesus' day, this message was perhaps summed up best by Jesus himself. And this is what he says in Mark chapter 1. Uh, so this kind of sets the foundation for all of the gospel of Mark. This is what he says. It says, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. So this is the message. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. It's pretty simple. 
This is the gospel as Jesus presented it. This is it. The word in Greek is euangelion. That's the word for it, which means good news, which means the gospel for us. So what is that good news? Read this the other day. It says, uh, let's look closely at what Mark's narrator and Jesus say here. The gospel describes Jesus' message as the gospel. Jesus challenges people to repent and believe the gospel. In between, Jesus proclaims the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. That core announcement, and this is what I love, this phrase right here. It's time and God is breaking into this world. That's the core of Jesus' own gospel. And that's the core of what we preach to the world around us. God is breaking in to his creation. This is good news. We're to proclaim to make him known in this way that we share the good news that God is on the move and he is doing things today. It didn't die in the New Testament, didn't die in the Old Testament. Today, God is up to something new. This is good news. However, sadly, sometimes the good news of the gospel is lost in uh, what is presented as bad news that creates separation. Say, you're not welcome here. You're not good enough. You're not of right economic status. Uh, you're, not, um, you're not well, whatever that might be. There are times when the good news of the gospel has been masked by the bad news that humanity has put on that good news. I want you to know that at Life Church, it is good news, <laughs> right? All are welcome to be a part of what God is doing within the kingdom as we are drawn to, first of all, be with Jesus and then tell the world about who he is. And this is why the order of what Jesus invited the disciples to experience is so key to understanding why being with Jesus is absolutely key so that we get the message right. And that's why it's so key for us to know one another. Because as we get to know one another, what does it do for us to be able to share the gospel of Christ to people that look just like us? that feel just like us, struggle just like us. It helps us to lead with grace. It helps us to lead in such a way as that it becomes truly good news because we can point to ourselves because our friends know us and know that we are a mess. And we can point to them and say, yes, I know I'm a mess, but here's what Jesus is doing in my life today, and this is good news that's available to you as well. How do I know it's good news? Because I look at the people that sit on the right and left of me every time I come to church, every time I go to my life group. I look at the people on the right and left, left hand, and I go, God, thank you for having mercy on them. Thank you for having mercy on me. God, help me to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around me because I see what it looks like every time I gather together with the body of Christ when I am with Jesus. Folks, this is so vital for us to be together. Um. Because the last instruction that Jesus gave to his disciples, and not only that, to all of the followers that were with him, he said to them in Mark chapter 16, very end of Mark, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel or the good news to all creation. Go into all the world. And so this week and next, and really this is kind of the kickoff for that, uh, and then Friday night we've got the, the great events um, for that. I'm going to invite uh, Mike to come on up here and uh, close us out here as we uh, close here in the next couple minutes. Um, but uh, it's, it's all about mission, and we are to be on mission. And so we're going to be celebrating some of the mission things that are going on that Life Church is a part of. 
Um, we've got uh, missionaries that are going to be here next week. Uh, we have opportunity for us to participate uh, in that mission financially, and we'll talk more about that uh, next week as well. But we are committed to seeing the good news of Jesus Christ proclaimed around the world. But it starts here at Life Church. It starts with us saying, okay, God, we're ready to be on mission. We're ready, God, first of all, to be with you, and then secondly, to make you known, uh, to know God and make him known. This is what we are about. And so next week, one of the things that we will have opportunity to do is to be able to, uh, to give financially on a regular basis, to be challenged to give on a regular basis towards mission. Because the folks that we just heard from, they absolutely rely on what we give month after month after month. Without us doing our part, they're not out there doing their part in the call of God that's upon their lives. So is there pressure on us to respond? Absolutely. We have a lot of missionaries that we support that have given their lives and their time and their families and their dedication, all of it given to what God has called them to do, and they rest upon ours, as Eric said, our radical generosity for them to do what God has called them to do. We become, uh, we become this avenue by which they can be blessed so that they can do the work that God's called them to do. This is important, folks, for us to grab a hold of what God's calling us, uh, how he's calling us to make a difference in this world. He's called us to be with him and then to preach the good news. And the preaching of that good news is our lives lived out in Jesus every day. We go to work, we go to school, uh, in our neighborhoods, loving on the people around us, telling them about the good news, not the bad news, but telling them about the good news that God has broken in. God's broken into marriages. God has broken into governments. God has broken into school systems. God has broken in, and he wants to change lives. I invite you to stand to your feet as we close out. Father, thank you so much uh, for this day. And God, as we look uh, with expectancy towards this, uh, this Friday night, a great time together as a family of God, um, in a celebration of missions. And uh, then, God, next Sunday as we celebrate together uh, what you have called us to do, we're going to hear stories of what you're doing around the world, God. We're going to be uh, confronted with uh, the need that is just so, uh, so large and expansive around us, Lord, to reach those who don't know you. But, God, I thank you that you start with every one of us with that call, just like the disciples. First of all, to be with you. And so, God, we long to be with you. We long, oh God, to hear that call from you to be with you. And so, God, as we are with one another, we recognize that we represent the body of Christ to a dark and a broken and a dying world. And so, God, help us to be informed as to who you are by looking around us and seeing Jesus through those who are friends and our peers. And, Father, you haven't called us to just be with you, but, God, you've given us a purpose and a mission beyond that to reach our world. And so, God, help us to have wisdom. Help us, Lord, to have the right words at the right time to speak into those lives that are longing for your presence. And, God, we will be sure to give you all of the glory, all of the honor, and all the praise. And, God, as we prepare our hearts for, uh, for giving next week, uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to look at our budgets. Help us, God, to look at creative ways that we can uh, participate in mission. Because, Lord, you're calling us to do more than just sit idly by. God, you're calling us to do more than, uh, than just enjoy your presence. But, God, you are calling us to be active in presenting the gospel of Christ to this world. And, God, that can happen through our missions programs here at Life Church. 
Lord, we love you this day. We give you, Lord, all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next week uh, for our missions focus. God bless you. Don't forget Friday night, 6.30 p.m. Don't miss it.